Trying to grab all the groceries in one trip? Oof, not how you would have done that. You know sometimes less is more. Like when you drive less and save with the USAA annual mileage discount. USAA, get a quote today. Hello, welcome to the Boys in the Band podcast, where this week we were joined by the Von Bondies. I'm Peter Smith. And I'm Richard Gallagher. And this one was great fun. We had three of the four members of the lineup, and singer, songwriter, and guitarist Jason Stolzheimer told us, among other things, about that huge hit, Come On, Come On. We turned in the record, and they accepted it, and they said, okay, cool, here's your release date. And then, and then they said, you need to go back in the studio and record some B-sides. The UK needs B-sides. So thank you, UK, for this next moment. <laughs> so I went back in, and I recorded a few songs that I maybe spent one night working on while I was in Sausalito, California. And um, one of the songs was Come On, Come On. And it was, the reason why it's so short is because it wasn't supposed to make the album. And they're like, you know, wow. you have, you know, 48 hours to write four songs that are album worthy or B-side worthy. And so that was one of the four songs. Such a tune, that one. Jason also told us about those early days of the band, didn't he, Rich? Recording their debut with Jack Wyatt, The White Stripes. He was on producer duties for that album. Jason told us about making it in the UK and what that meant for an American band as well. Indeed, and we also chatted to Christy and Leanne about some of their great live shows, but also their experiences as women in the world of rock. Yep, so Von Bondi's, they're back. They were back for some live shows, which should have been taking place right now, but obviously postponed due to the coronavirus pandemic. But they will be back. They will be back on these shows in 2021 and they told us what we can expect when they're back on stage over here plus they also teased us about some new music that they're working on yeah looking forward to that so um settle in and listen to the von bondi story and uh, please do check out our twitter instagram facebook pages and please remember to rate and review the podcast as well enjoy Right, we're delighted to be joined today by not one, not two, but three of the four members of the Von Bondies. Donnie Blum's not with us, but we've got a fine selection of the band with us today, haven't we? Jason, how you doing? I'm good. I'm good. Yeah, and Christy? Good. Good morning. And good morning. Good afternoon from here. <laughs> <laughs> and Leanne, how's it going? I'm doing great. <laughs> great to have you on, guys. Um, we like to start our shows, like any good gig, with a proper sound check. So just some quick fire questions to get us warmed up. So we've got one... One for each of you today. So first up to you, Jason. Uh, can you tell us a band that you're loving right now? Who should we all go out and listen to? Um, I like a band called Highness. They're out of Canada. They're amazing. They're one of the only bands that I've seen that can sound like the 90s, but with harmonies. There's just not a lot of 90s music with harmonies like that. And I, I love them. They're really good. And they're good cool. people. Uh, Christy, next up. What's, I know um, we're obviously not going to gigs at the moment, but what's the best gig you've been to in the past 12 months? Really like in a Minneapolis band called Blue Green. Uh, it's members of uh, the Soviets um, and the Blind Shake and the band called the Birthday Suits. And they're just so much fun. Cool. Because um, you're, you're in Minneapolis at the moment, right? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And, and Jason and Leanne, are you both in Detroit? Is that correct? Yeah, just outside of it. Yeah. Cool. So you're all spread out. Yeah. Perfect. <laughs> okay, Leanne, we um, know a little bit about the band, but can you... Give us, let's into one of the big secrets. Uh, who's the biggest party animal out of the four of you? 
The party animal. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think it might have to. I don't know. It's either Christy or Don. It's a kind of a toss up. It's been a while. <laughs> I know. I've, I've seen Don party pretty hard, though. Yeah. Yeah. Probably why he's not here. So to, to party too hard last night. <laughs> yeah. no, see, I can see all kinds of things about him. He's not here. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, we're speaking to you today on what should have been the morning after the big night before, actually, uh, because you were scheduled to be on your 20th anniversary tour right now. And you would have played over here at the Islington Academy last night if it wasn't for the outbreak of coronavirus. So frustrating to postpone those gigs until 2021. Uh, but Jason, tell us a bit about why you actually decided to make that comeback in the first place. Um, the, the reason why, honestly, because I, I missed playing with the three of them. Um, for me, you know, writing music or playing music, I can do that by myself. But the reason for being in a band is because of the people you're going to tour with, which is why I, I wanted to do it. I mean, I still talk to Don on the end all the time. And Christy lives in Minneapolis, so I don't get to see her very often. But this is the best way for us to get on stage. And uh, I don't know, we have a good time on stage. We always have. So how, how does this work then? How did preparing for this tour, the tour that never happened or the tour that's been postponed? Um, Christy, were you, how did you make rehearsals work? We've already said about how you, you spread out around the country a little bit. Most of the time I end up in Detroit um, for a good week or so for rehearsals. That's what we scheduled me for this one. Um, but obviously because of the pandemic, I, we had to cancel that. Um, it's not that far actually, if I, if I drive, 16 hours <laughs> <laughs> welcome to the states 16 hours not far <laughs> yeah yeah that's your whole country for us that's not a deal sometimes we if you've toured the states you get used to that sometimes but <laughs> yeah life on the road yeah a lot of landmass over here <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so how was that leanne sort of picking up the getting the bands back together and uh, playing together after after quite a while out uh, I, I was super excited for it i mean we were actually practicing at my house the, you know for the few weeks that we actually could and i was really pumped to kind of get back on the stage with some of my favorite people so it's <laughs> disheartening that it couldn't happen but it'll be good next year too <laughs> yeah, certainly will um well, let's just rewind back to the start of the Von Bondi story then, first of all. So you appeared on most of UK rock fans' radars in around 2004 with uh, the smash single, Come On, Come On. And we'll come on to the sort of that hit uh, a, bit sh a bit later. But you formed in 2000, and I know Christy and Leanne joined a little bit further down the line. But Jason, how did the band actually start in the first place? So the band, I first started playing, this was basically my first band. I started playing in 98 in a band that I did not name called the baby killers. And <laughs> we were called no wave punk um, because we didn't have any choruses. There wasn't really any verses either. I don't, I actually don't know how to explain it, but um, <laughs> our drummer at the time passed out at a house party and Don was in attendance because it was a house party in the city he lived in. And we asked if anybody knew how to play drums, he came up and played. And basically a month later, we changed the name to the Von Bondies and the band grew tenfold at that point because Don is such a good musician. And uh, yeah, so that was that was basically my first band. It was just, I used to throw house parties in a city called Ypsilanti and no one wanted to be first of 10 bands playing a house show. So I started the Baby Killers with my roommates and a few friends down the street just so no one could bitch about having to go on first of 10 when nobody's there yet at a house party. And 
And so, you know, it, it was basically we would do two songs just so no one could say you made us play first. And uh, yeah, I think we did um, Little Richard, we did Long Tall Sally, and then we did a song where I just said one line in German, and that was the whole thing. Like kind of <laughs> punky surf. Yeah, 98. And then, and then when Don joined, we eventually changed the name of the Von Bondies. And we had people come in and out, but I believe Leanne, besides Don, has been in the band the longest um, of any of the members besides me and Don. You know, and Christy came in later and Christy had already been in a bunch of good bands and she still is in a bunch of bands right now. And I wanted a guitar player that was way better than me. And so <laughs> I definitely got someone that was better than me. So I didn't have to do as much and I could just <laughs> concentrate on singing. Cool. Obviously, Marcy Bolan was an important figure at the start of the band as well. Can you tell us a bit about her influence on Bon Bondi's early days? Um, yeah. So Marcy and I went to community college, like city college together. And we went to a school where we were kind of the minority. And Marcy kind of dressed rockabilly, a lot of leopard print, cheetah print outfits. <laughs> and I, you know, looked like some kind of Fugazi fan, I guess, like post-punk kid. And we became friends. And we went and saw a band called Guitar Wolf one night, which is a Japanese rock and roll band. And they sing in broken English. And as I'm watching them, I'd never been in a band at that point. This is like 97, 98. I, I was like, hey, I can do this. This looks so easy. Because what they did is in the middle of the show, they would call someone up on the stage and hand them the lead guitar player's guitar. And they'd say, they'd go, go ahead. And they'd start yelling in, in Japanese. And we didn't know what they said. And they'd point at the strings and the guy would hit the strings. It would sound just like what the guitar player was currently playing. But this guy was just hitting the strings randomly and it sounded perfect. I was like, oh, I can do this. And so I went home and started a band with Marcy and a guy named Chris Collins and Dave Brown. And there, we had a female singer named Jessica Martin. And it was nothing like the Von Bondies. It was just noise. And, um, and so that was kind of the beginning of the band. And over time, like people grow stronger together. Like I didn't know Don at all when he joined the band but he ended up being like my longest running friend I've known. And, um, and Marcy eventually left the Von Bondies to do her own band called Silver Ghost, which were a great band. And um, cause she wanted to do her own thing. And in, in the Von Bondies there's not a lot of room for other songwriters. I, I just, I write songs pretty fast and chaotically and there's not a lot of, uh, you know, for root, root songs. So Marcy wanted to do her own band. And so she eventually ended up leaving. What about that, uh, those uh, sort of early days on the Detroit rock scene? Was it, was it a thriving bit of culture at the time with lots of bands around? Uh, did you have to fight hard to get, get on stages? So because, because I was so young, I was 18, 19 years old, and we were living in Ypsilanti. We weren't in Detroit yet. Um, when we finally made it to Detroit, I'd say the average show had 10 to 15 people at it, and they were all in the other bands. And at the time, there was a band called the Detroit Cobras, which is still a band. Um, I thought that they were just a heavy metal cover band. I mean, there was no YouTube to go see what a band looked like or sounded like, and there was no streaming service. And so when we ended up going to Detroit, we played a place called the Gold Dollar. It was one of the first places. And the other place was the Magic Stick. And we would always play first of four. And every time we'd play, there'd always be some kind of thunderstorm or snowstorm, so no one would be there. But the people that were there were all the bigger bands. And so that's kind of how we got our break. 
is that they couldn't really leave because it was terrible outside. So they had to watch us play. And I feel bad for them because, you know, we were a little loose back then. But, um, <laughs> but yeah, that's kind of how it happened. And, you know, there wasn't, there wasn't competition. I didn't know of it as competition. I just, everyone was in a band. Every single person was in a band. There's, besides people's boyfriends or girlfriends, everyone at the show was in a band. And even the people that were boyfriends or girlfriends were in bands. So I think it was, it's very much for me, like a family oriented thing where a bunch of misfits, as you always hear the cliche of rock and roll of outcasts, you know, they all found each other because there was a little venue called the gold dollar that maybe fit 75 people comfortably. And the sound was terrible. It used to be a strip club. Um, it, it was like kind of transgender bar before it was a venue. And so there, there's mirrors and all the sound reflects back and forth. So it sounds terrible. So we might have been a good band, but we sounded terrible every night there. <laughs> um, Leanne, obviously, you weren't with the band at that time, but I guess, were you, did you grow up in that, at that sort of time in Detroit? Did you experience that sort of similar scene that uh, Jason's talking about there? I did kind of. <clears throat> um, I, I, I was actually going to the Magic Stick and some of those Detroit venues. I grew up in Detroit, so I was kind of closer to that <clears throat> area back then. But I'm a little younger i guess so i don't i wasn't actually going to the same shows i think i was more drawn back then too um it was actually a very similar scene in the fact that uh everyone was in a band and i mean you know i was trying to be in bands and yeah probably everyone in the audience was also in a band but i was drawn to more of like the kind of more power poppy type bands that were around at the time yeah um but similar venues similar because obviously Detroit's got this real rich history of music hasn't it so you know both of you have said about everyone wanting to be in bands at the time is that what people from Detroit are like they just they have that music heritage that they all just want to get up on stage and play their instruments and sing their songs yeah I think so um I think there's a lot of talent here <clears throat> and I think like the late 90s early 2000s was a very uh, like integral prosperous time for music then too it seemed like there was such a uh, there was such a like a like vivacious scene that everyone was very into what was going on so was it the bondies then uh did start getting a bit of a, a name for yourselves and managed to get in the studio to record your first album lack of communication back in uh, 2001 uh, produced by jack white of the white stripes and recorded in just three days was it just three days that seemed really quick and and how did you come to to working with jack white at that time so it, it, I think it took three days to record it and mix it. So wow. I think we had wow. a budget of $1,200, $1,300. And we recorded it with Jim Diamond and, um, and Jack at Jim Diamond's studio called Ghetto Recorders, where the, I think the Dirt Bombs records were recorded. I believe like the Red Ants, a bunch of bands that were from outside of Michigan. We recorded for a day and a half. And then I think there was a day and a half mixing so yeah in in less than 24 hours the album was recorded and we did all of the music live and some of the vocals live and then we put backing vocals on after so yeah i mean it's basically a live record like i always i always believe that every band is part of the production process but when you do the record live there's not much production you know it's mostly all engineering which is jim diamond is a master of making things sound raw it's still powerful you know it's like the stooges record like all the records are low fi but they sound huge 
So it's the same thing. Jim, Jim is like the master of that. And how did you come across Jack? Obviously, we know he's from Detroit as well. How did your paths cross? So he, he came to all of our shows. And at the time, the White Stripes uh, were a very small band. They were still opening for bands like Bantam Rooster. And uh, the Detroit Cobras were still the headliner. And the Henchmen were headliners. And he was just at every show, you know, just like all those guys. And Jim was at every show. Like, we read all their shows, too. So um, maybe they saw something in us and they wanted to record us, but it was not our idea to go in the studio. You know, I, I, that wasn't something I was thinking. I was just having fun. And this guy, Long Gone John, who owned the label that put out our record, he saw us at a New Year's Eve show playing by the men's bathroom. We were, we were an opener where I think the headliners were maybe the Greenhorns and the Soldad Brothers, and we were first of six. And because we were, we were playing on the floor and there was no stage, all, all that Long Gone John, the record label, could see is just my head from here up. After, after we played, he's like, ah, oh, this is how he speaks. You can see him in video. Oh, you guys are real great. Oh, my God. And then he said, there's girls in the band? I'm totally going to put out your record. And because the girls were both like five foot four. And so you couldn't see them with the crowd, but he liked us before that because there's, there's no backing vocals on a floor show by a men's bathroom. And um, so that made me feel confident because he liked us before he knew that, you know, we were a really diverse band. That it wasn't just four white dudes with long hair playing. You know, I'm, I'm the minority in this band, <laughs> you know, in that way. You know, especially in, in Michigan, it was all just, you know, we had a lot of diverse bands there. You know, like having a female in a band wasn't something unique in Michigan. It was, they were, they were just other people in the band that were musicians. I never thought of it a different way, you know? Yeah, yeah I, think that's I think that's a really interesting element of the Von Bondies. And considering the lineup changes that you, you have continued to have females in the band. And uh, we'll get on to chatting with Christy and Leanna a little bit about, about that, that side of things. But Jason, you said that you perhaps a little reluctant perhaps or not not desperate to get into the studio to lay down that first album but you were you were soon working on Pawn Shop Heart that was 2002 right so almost what we're we talking sort of six months later you were back in the studio working with Jerry Harrison with the Talking Heads yeah yeah so the record came out in 2001 I think we recorded it in 2002 Lack Communication and then we got back in the studio in 2002 2003 with Jerry Harrison but I when we practiced for like the six months before we did our first record, which seems crazy. We were a band for basically six months before we recorded our first album. I, we didn't have microphones or a good PA. I'd always sing through my guitar amp with a mic. So my guitar would be louder than my mic and I never knew what I sounded like vocally. So I was nervous about going to the studio and the venues we were playing, they didn't have floor monitors. It wasn't, it wasn't like a good setup. It sounded terrible, you know, for bands on stage. So I, was, I wasn't confident about going to the studio just because I didn't know if I could sing at all, which, you know, it, it, it made me not aggressively wanting to go in the studio and be like, yeah, I'm ready for this. I had no idea if I could do it, you know? And then with Jerry Harrison, he came to our show in, in LA and uh, yeah, it was, it was interesting. Jerry was awesome. I mean, just, he didn't even have to be in the talking heads. He was in the modern lovers, you know, that was like, I love the modern lovers. So um, this is obviously Pawn Shop Heart is obviously turns out to be the breakthrough album, certainly over here in the UK. So did it feel special when you were putting it together? Did you feel like you were onto onto something good? Um, 
halfway through recording it, I realized that a major label signed a band that basically was a blues punk band. And this is before the Black Keys made blues, blues punk like a top 40 thing. Mm. And at that time, we were the only band, I think the Electric Six, that were on a major label out of Detroit. Like not the, not the Detroit Cobras or the White Stripes. Nobody else was. And I recorded all the songs I liked. And, you know, they were really personal songs about my life. And it sounded great, but I just couldn't see how it was going to compete with what was popular at the time, which was like, I think new metal was just dying. And I just, we just worked on the songs that were us. We didn't know if they were going to work. And we turned in the record and they accepted it. And they said, okay, cool. Here's your release date. And then, and then they said, you need to go back in the studio and record some B-sides. The UK needs B-sides. So thank you, UK, for this next moment. <laughs> so I went back in and I recorded a few songs that I maybe spent one night working on while I was in Sausalito, California. And um, one of the songs was Come On, Come On. And it was, the reason why it's so short is because it wasn't supposed to make the album. And they're like, you know, wow. you have, you know, 48 hours to write four songs that are album worthy or B-side worthy. And so that was one of the four songs. A really, really quick track, isn't it? It's only I think, two minutes, 13 seconds. Did, um, did you get an inkling when you wrote it that it, was, that it could be one that would break through? Or, or, or when did you get that feeling sort of uh, further down the line when people started hearing it, that it was going to be uh, an important song for you guys? Well, because we, we were doing blues kind of punk stuff, I kind of wrote it and then I said, I can't let this come out. It's way too poppy. It has an actual chorus. <laughs> like it, it it has a hook in it it's not just a bunch of loud there's breakdowns where you can hear the hook and i kind of freaked out because it was just so it was so straightforward um it meant something to me like lyrically but i just i was worried that it was too poppy and then of course when i turned it in they're like oh this is your single i'm like but you've already accepted the album without this on it and the album makes total sense without the song and then um yeah they 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 forced us to put it on and force me to have it on the album. I guess you're glad they did now. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm glad. I'm glad, obviously, now, you know. Um, but yeah, it's, it's funny because I wrote that song by myself in the, in, I was in my hotel room, which was a Holiday Inn Express. I don't know if you've heard of those. Mm -hmm. And the other three band members were all, I believe, watching a band called the Datsuns yeah. in oh, New yeah. Zealand. Yeah. None of them were even in the same city as me when I was working on it and I was kind of pissed that I had to stay back and not go see our friend's band play in San Francisco. And I had to stay by myself to work on songs that were never probably going to come out. And then I wrote that song. And then the next day I went in by myself and recorded it like a raw version of it. And then Don came in and he, he recorded his drum parts and that was basically the song. Incredible. It's incredible that some of these, these, the, some of the best songs for bands sometimes just come around in strange ways and unexpected ways as well. Um, Christy sort of obviously, I'm always interested when people join a band a bit further down the line. Were you observing the Von Bondies at this time? Were you jumping around to come on, come on at club nights and things like this? What, what are your memories of the Von Bondies when they were coming through? Oh yeah, for sure. I, um, I heard come on, come on. It was, it was, it was on the radio a lot here and uh, actually no regrets was on the radio a lot here. So I actually, I think No Regrets was the song that kind of got me into the band. It's like, ooh, this is dark. I like dark. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
So I, I checked it out and I, I, I liked it. I had no idea, you know, that this would be where I'd be now when I heard that those songs on the radio, that's for sure. Yeah, it's hard to predict down the line. And, but, but funny looking back, I guess, when you've, you've been listening to this band for a while and then you uh, end up playing for them. But Leanne, you came into the band in 2006. So sorry, stepping into the band at that sort of time, playing those sort of songs, what was, what was the initial um, feelings for you stepping into this band? How did it come about? Um, how did it come about? Jason found me. <laughs> um, <laughs> Headhunted. Uh, weirdly enough, I, I didn't really know the band that well. Uh, like I said, I think I was just kind of wrapped up in a different scene or a different style of music. I do remember seeing the video for Come On, Come On on TV. No, it, it, was, uh, it was really exciting because, I, like I said, I was still pretty, I think I was 23 or something when, you, when we met. And uh, I mean, I've been... I had been playing in bands around town, but like, and I always enjoyed traveling. It was kind of like a goal of mine to like be a touring musician. And I'm not really like a, a songwriter or anything like that. So I just love playing. I love playing bass. Traveling is huge for me. So to, uh, to be presented with an opportunity like this was, was pretty awesome. And um, yeah, obviously I love all these opportunities. It's super exciting to kind of like over the years, kind of come into my own style with it too. And I actually, you know, ended up enjoying the, like the dark sexiness of the band and the songs, but uh, <laughs> cause I'm always, I, I'm <laughs> into such power pop, like harmony written, like happy music most of the time that it's really fun to play like darker stuff. Leanne, do you remember where we met? Yes. We went to a, a, a movie in Birmingham, right? Yeah, and then where we meet, where I was called the jean skirt meeting. <laughs> he always makes fun of me because I was wearing this like long like denim skirt when we met. That went down to her feet. To make, he likes to make fun of my fashion choices. <laughs> no, she has great fashion choices. I just, she came, she knew what the band was like. She knew based I didn't on the vibe. <laughs> no, no, but, but obviously you could, we, I think we first started talking through MySpace. Yeah, yeah. I think so. But obviously there's I guess I was, honestly, I just wasn't thinking about it that hard. <laughs> she showed up and it was, she looked so wholesome and, and not dark. And, and I was like, oh yeah, I don't know if this is going to work. But then once I met her and I realized she was 10 times the bass player I'll ever be because I started on bass in the band in the early, early days. And I was like, oh yeah, yeah. She can totally be in this band and she can sing better than, than I can. Like that's, I always, I need to be the worst musician in any band I'm in. That's my goal. Because if I'm the worst musician, then the band's good. You know, that's the way I looked at it. And the, the, the band was essentially uh, complete almost in, in its sort of its current um, form at that point. So um, we, we've spoken about sort of the early days of the band. So probably a good time to take a little break there. And in part two, we'll chat about the success that the Von Bondi's had in the UK. Uh, what they thought of the rock scene over here and find out more about that long-awaited comeback. We're the Von Bondies and you're listening to the Boys in the Band podcast. You're listening to the Boys in the Band podcast. For more naughty nostalgia, check out our Twitter, Facebook and Instagram pages and make sure you hit subscribe to the podcast for more interviews like this. Welcome back to the Boys in the Band podcast, where we're joined by three of the Von Bondies. Just a quick recap, we've got singer and guitarist Jason, we've got guitarist Christy, and we've got bass player Leanne. Jason, we were just speaking about the success of Come On, Come On, um, and it's gained you a real following over here in the UK, definitely. 
So um, what was it like when you realised that you made a breakthrough over here and uh, there was a, a growing fan base in the UK for you? It was kind of comforting and it also was unsettling. It was unsettling mostly because I realised that a song had taken off and that means that kind of sets the bar of what's expected. And it was also comforting because that was our sophomore album, which normally is your slump. So the second record was more successful than our first. So I was like, well, we've already achieved what most people really don't look forward to, which is having your second record not do well. And so it definitely was an up, upgrade. But I mean, it was, it was interesting. I mean, people sang along to songs before Come On, Come On, like other songs, but that was the first where I didn't even have to go near the mic when the chorus came in and the crowd would sing it. And that's a kind of high or drug that you can't, put in a pill and I don't know it was it was really flattering and really humbling you know just that to connect with so many people at once all strangers you know this is before streaming and people being able to get music very readily you know so it was a big deal and what about when you uh, when you came over what were your memories of of playing in the UK at that time any standout shows any standout gigs um I remember leaving Brighton and somebody came up and cut part of my hair off. <laughs> like I was, I, we were walking towards the van or the bus. We only had a bus a handful of times. Like we were not a bus band. And I remember signing something and everybody else was signing stuff. And somebody ran behind me and I just hear this like scissor sound and uh, a girl ran away with my hair. So <laughs> they're cloning me. I have poor vision. It's not a good clone. That's when not you know you've made it when someone's cutting your hair off. <laughs> yeah, so I was like, well, I've made it. And then, you know, um, at that point, we got so busy that I was doing a lot of interviews because a lot of the questions were directed towards the songs. And the rest of the band was out sightseeing a lot of the time. So at that time, I could kind of feel the core members growing apart. Um, the three of them kind of bonding and me being by myself because I would be left alone to do all the press or to handle the tour budget and stuff like that. And, um, you know, I was I felt it was it was cool that I got to do that stuff, but uh, it definitely made the band at that moment grow apart. Yeah. And also, like, I, I wrote the song by myself and it always would come up that it wasn't a band thing. You know, the one the song that made us. And so at the time, I was pretty naive and didn't realize that that might make other people have feelings towards me in the band. And so there's never a direct argument about it. But I, now looking back, it's it's kind of obvious what happened. And Don and I still like remain really close friends, but on the UK tour, one of the tours, Christy, um, I remember when she first joined, uh, like people thought that Christy and Leanne were the old members. And a lot of that had to do with people hadn't seen them in interviews a lot. And so they really didn't know what everybody looked like. And um, I remember doing interviews and they were like, oh, I didn't know there were girls in the band. I'm like, how did you not know there weren't any women in the band? Like, there's women on the recordings. Like, did you think they were just hired? So it was a really weird time. It was like, you know, the birth of what the internet is now. But people had a lot of misinformation. Like, I know Leanne got mistaken for Marcy all the time. And they'd say she's the guitar player. And I'm like, no. It, you know, it happened, right, Leanne? Well, yeah, it's very interesting because they obviously didn't know uh, – any A who, I mean, I did have red hair the first tour, so that was kind of deceiving, but, <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, they didn't know that I wasn't, you know, the old guitarist. I was playing bass, so 
they just didn't really make any connection. I wonder if that's a good time actually just to, to jump in on what we were going to talk about a little bit there, Leanne, about female guitarists, females in rock generally. I, you know, perhaps this is an issue for the Von Bondies where JC were out front and answering the questions and the rest of the band people weren't perhaps paying so much attention to. But Leanne, that sort of that sort of issue that you're you're facing there, that that seems like similar to what when we were speaking to Billy from the Subways, he said that Charlotte in his band would would quite often get disregarded by people that they met at gigs or people that they were they show up at a festival and they just assumed that Charlotte was, you know, someone hanging on to the band, a girlfriend of of one of the or the boys in the band or something like that. How, do, how have you found um, the experience of being in, in the rock and roll world as a female? It, it is interesting. I mean, like Jason was saying earlier, it's not abnormal, you know, or it hasn't been abnormal to for uh, women to be in bands here for a long time. But it is still you run into weird things like people. Yeah, exactly that. Like everyone's kind of like surprised when they find out you're in the band or you're not the singer or like they're like oh you're really good like but they say it with this inflection that like they didn't expect you to be mm-hmm. so but and, and that's that's been you know my entire life and i'm sure for ages before me as well chris did you back up back that up do you feel that, like there's a pressure on you to be even a better musician than the boys around you to get that well, respect? <clears throat> where i grew up and when i in the early 90s where I was from in northern Minnesota I girls just didn't play in bands it was a given like I would go to my friends shows and want to play after they were done in the basement party and everybody would just kind of leave and not not hang out not jam with you that just lit a fire in me back then I was like I'm gonna go out there and learn this instrument and show them and um that was kind of my fuel, but that left after a while. When I moved to the city and I met a lot of other women and a lot of other people, that it just kind of disappeared. There was more a camaraderie about it. Mm. And, and I think now, especially, I mean, there's so many females out playing the parts. And um, just, I think about it when I think about Carol Kay in the background, like in the yeah. Wrecking Crew. You yeah. know, there, there we got a prime example of who really is laying down the foundation for it all. She wanted to remain anonymous, but I don't know. Did she want to remain anonymous? Who knows? She's, she's you know, one of those characters. But in a sense, like, there's so many of us now, and we're coming out, and we're, you know, we're strong. We're, I don't know, a force to be reckoned with, I guess. But uh, I definitely I don't see it being too much of an issue anymore. I don't, I don't see it. I don't feel it when I go into the workplace and I go to the gig. Not as much as I used to, and right when you just turned on your amp, somebody's like, "Turn down!" And you haven't even like you haven't even turned up yet, and you're like, "Well, I'll show them. I'll play the horn part for Sir Sir Duke," you know. <laughs> <laughs> so um, it's not that much anymore. I think I think I don't see it. Do you, Leah? Do you see it much anymore, or feel it much anymore? I mean, it's definitely less, and it's definitely not that bad. I I always feel like there's. Um, slight like underlying tones and in, in sometimes in what people say when they're giving compliments like like I was saying they just didn't really maybe expect what they heard you know or expect you to yeah. be good or expect you to be part of things but I don't think I never really I've never really felt offended by anything crazy you know I think yeah, yeah. I think it's pretty really accepted and widely happening enough that it's not too crazy anymore 
you'd still get those guys that will explain to you what your gear is because you're women where yes. they, they, they feel like you don't know what you have. Like they're like, Oh, Oh, you have a blah, blah. Like, like nobody ever says that to me. Nobody says, Oh, that yeah. tone bender fuzz pedal is a blah, blah. I, you know, they explained to you what you already know. I, I work in a bar usually as well. And I think my least favorite thing is when I, uh, you know, when people find out I'm in a band or I tell them I play in a band, the first thing out of their mouth is, Oh, are you the singer? Mm. It's always, and I'm like, that bothers me because that wouldn't be the, the response that a, a guy would get. But I feel like it's always that. I'm like, well, no, actually. Yeah, it's <laughs> interesting. And obviously, you know, Jason, from your side of it, you know, having had female members in the Von Bondies right from the word go, you know, what's the, what's the, what's the benefits of, you know, there must be benefits to having, playing alongside these girls as well, rather than just four guys who presumably, you know, have similar outlooks and similar experiences of life to come up with, to have a couple of female members as well. My, my group of friends since I was 18 or 19 were predominantly female. I just, I wasn't an alpha male with like sports or anything. I didn't always have to win and um, whatever the stereotype is of that. And so I had mostly friends that were female, you know, and it, it I don't know if it's just, you know, like the time I spent when my parents were separated and my mom raised me and she was a strong, independent human being that happened to be a woman. But um, I, I, you know, I, our, the lawyer that I had was female. My business manager was a female. Our booking agent was female. You know, for a lot of my life, I just, you know, I respect in that way, like women, you know, it's just, I've, I've always, I don't, I, I feel like it's a different conversation when I talk to a man where it's more like they feel like they need to be a different kind of competition instead of working together. I feel more camaraderie with women in bands. And um, I think Christy and Leanne can, can say that Don and I compared to some stereotypical guys in bands, we don't really fit that mold of, of what a lot of, all guy bands are. I, I was in a band with guys and it just, it didn't make any sense, you know, at, at later on in my life. It just, it was a, it was a weird unneeded pissing contest for some people. And with Christy and Leanne, we had a common goal. Less punching, more bitch slapping. <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> Good pick. LOL. <laughs> Lol. Well, maybe, maybe a little, little bit more, uh, little way to go but I think progress definitely sounds like it's been made in, in the time you've been in the band so um, you know we like to get nice and nostalgic on this podcast and think back to the bands that we loved uh, from that sort of 2000s era um, so which UK bands do you remember from that time what bands were you into uh, from, from that sort of decade of music British bands yeah yeah um, so I thought the future heads were really good um, Friends Ferdinand they're Scottish, but they're amazing. And we got the chance to tour with them when they were the opener. I think Trail of the Dead was the headliner, I think, at the time. And when they would sound check, they would sound check Take Me Out, but it didn't have words yet all the way. It was still like a rough song. And by the end of the tour, it was, they were the biggest band on the tour because the song was basically done and I remember them playing Michael and I was like, who are all these guys? And I know they weren't like 19 year old kids. They had been in bands that toured before, but seeing Franz Ferdinand was amazing. Um, early days of 
Oh man, why am I having trouble? They had the song called Alarm. What was the name of the band? Do you mean uh, Block Party with Silent Alarm? Bl- Block Party was amazing. They did not sound good live the first time I saw them. They played Franz Ferdinand's record release party where they were the only band playing. And it was just a terrible venue and it sounded terrible. But you could tell how good they were. And the next time I saw them, they sounded perfect. You know, and like sometimes you got to see a band at a crappy venue and see that they're still a good band. Yeah. You know, you can't always have in your monitors and a perfect light show. That's not what makes a band good. You got to see them at a crappy venue, you know, but for me, those are like the two of the bands, which is, they sound nothing like what we sounded like. You know, I don't, I'm not going to like a band that sounds like the band I'm in. That's insane. <laughs> um, Jason, I saw something on your uh, Instagram feed about the, the Cribs as well, being one of your most played artists. You, you into the Cribs? Yeah, we, I met, I met the brothers and the cousin. Um, just touring and at one point my my band after the von bondies opened for them on tour and i remember going into the green room because we shared one because we were all friends and they would they'd warm up by listening to weezer which yeah, leanne cool. would love I love Weezer. <laughs> she loves weezer early well she likes all weezer i think but like it was early I like weezer <laughs> i think the the two common things were like beastie boys and weezer being played to like get them pumped to go on stage, which is funny. There's like two American bands to, to really pump up a very British sounding band. They didn't try to sound American at all, you know, and not their phrasing at anything. They were themselves. They weren't, you know, like a lot of bands, they try to have, especially in the sixties and seventies sound American, you know? And um, so, yeah, the Cribs, I always found it interesting that they listened to American music to get pumped to play British music. And, uh, you know, I thought that was awesome. I mean, I listened to the animals to get pumped to play a show, you know, so that's a British band. So I, I get it. But um, yeah, 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 the cribs, the cribs are awesome. They're that, that to me is as poppy a punk as I like, because they're really punky, you know, they happen to be catching, but their songs are just, they're interesting. They're really interesting riffs. And I really like the guys. Yeah. Great live band as well. Um, so let's let's get back to the Von Bondies. Um, let's talk about your third album. Where had the band evolved to by the by this point? Um, Love, hate, then there's you, Jason. How had the band changed from those early days into to what you had in two thousand and eight? Well, since I'm no longer on a label, I think I can answer this really bluntly. <laughs> so, after Pawn Shop Heart, they tried to do the thing that they eventually did the, to the Killers, where they made us tour it until it was dead. You know, I think there's three years between albums with Killers, even though they had new songs, because they wanted to milk it for as much as they could. Because who knew, who knows if they're going to put another good record at that time. So, to Warner Brothers and Sire, Punch Up Heart was our debut album to them, because it was our sophomore record, but it was our first major label release. So I we recorded the third record probably ten times in its entirety with different songs each time. And every time the A&R guy who no longer works there would say, I don't hear a hit. And after three or four years of not touring and recording the same album, not for free, it was really expensive for no reason, except for you're on a major. I just straight up said, what don't you like about it? And he said, it's not emo enough. And that night I called a lawyer and said, I want off the label because we're not an emo band. And they wanted us to sound like what was popular, which was uh, My Chemical Romance, which is a great band, but we're never gonna be that. 
And I didn't want to be that. And so it took a, another year to get off the label and all my life savings to pay for a lawyer to get off the label just to get back a record that was, it was good, but it was, you know, four years of 10 times recording some of the same songs and it just didn't make sense. Um, it used to be an album, but it got, it got thrown around to different things. Like there's good songs on it, but it was the most poppy we got because at a certain point after recording the same song for the 10th time, you kind of lose yourself. And so some songs made it through, like I think the song Chancer is good on it and um, Pale Bride's good, but it didn't sound like the blues punk band that was the la the previous six years, you know? And I think the, the most Von Bondi sounding song is the only song Leanne's on on the album, I think. She's Dead to Me? Yeah. Mine too, I think. Yeah, too. Yeah, too. But yeah, yeah, She's Dead to Me is like the most Von Bondi sounding song. And um, it's just interesting that like, you know, I had my hands tied. Like we were part of a big machine. And even though they made money off the first record, they, they can't help themselves but make you go in debt. I, I know those record deals don't really happen anymore the way it happened for us, but they had a budget that they spent so they could write us off as a tax write-off in the end. Because even if the band fails, there's always going to be a Green Day or Coldplay to cover the costs, you know? And, and I was not mad. I was told this in 2001 by the keyboard player of the Black Crows, who has since passed, like, they're going to ruin your band. <laughs> if you go to the major label, they're going to force you to do things and you're not even going to realize you're doing them. And, and I don't have any regrets about it because I knew it was going to happen. And so through it, I, I got to do a lot of great things, but Love, Hate, and Then There's You was like, it was not a linear record. It was many different producers, many different engineers. I mean, shit, they made me work with the producer for Paris Hilton's record. And we actually didn't record anything. Like I met with him. They flew me out to meet with this guy. They didn't explain who it was. And he was a really nice guy. And I went to the studio. There was nothing there but a keyboard, a, a laptop, and an acoustic guitar and a mic. He's like, let's record an, a, a Von Bondi song by myself. <laughs> and so I played acoustic and I played a few riffs. And he said, come back tomorrow and the song will be done. And the next day I came back and he had put together a very poorly written Shell Crow sounding song. <laughs> and, and I got, you know, I was not excited about music at that moment in my life for what you know, that's how quick it was. He's like, that's how music is done at this level. And um, I didn't want to do it anymore at that level. So, yeah, it was. I guess that it was, sort of led into what was to come and you sort of went on an indefinite kind of hiatus in, in 2011. Was, was that just all on the back of that recording? Was there stuff in between that happened? And then what, what did come after that? What's been going on uh, in the interim? So for me, the hardest part was I finally got the band that worked really well together, that were really tight musicians that could play the, I, if I broke every string on my guitar, the other three could power through the song and I wouldn't even bat an eye. I would just keep singing and not play guitar. And our live shows were better than they ever were before. I mean, Christy and Leanne, like they worked the crowd and they played their instruments without staring at their hands. It was, you know, I stare at my hands more than they do. <laughs> And, and Don was always a powerhouse. It, it was interesting that like I needed it to kind of end because it, it just kind of, the music had kind of lost its place. 
and I really wanted to do a solo project, which is weird because I still wrote the songs in the Von Bondies, but I wanted to do a solo project that didn't have any scene for it, you know, and like a lot of like, I think the Black Keys were just starting to take off and other bands from our genre were dying. And we had a good ride and our crowds were still full. We still had really good shows, but I just, I didn't feel the music that I was writing in the Von Bondies. It just didn't make sense anymore to me. So I started a new band called The Hounds Below. And um, Leanne actually played the first show when it was called Jason and the Hounds Below. She played oh, keyboard. Yeah, that, was like, that, was that was before I even played a Von Bondi show, actually. Yeah, yeah. The Hounds Below started before the Von Bondi stopped. And so I kind of showed my cards of what I was going to do next. And I think Leanne's keyboard, something went wrong where it pitched. Like the keys weren't the right keys. And so she sounded terrible the whole time. It was, do you remember? <laughs> well, I first started playing, yeah, something happened with that keyboard and it wasn't mine, so I didn't really know. It went like a, a, a half step or whole step up the wrong way. And yeah, it took me and like that, an entire that, song to figure that out. And that band was more straight up Roy Orbison in the early days. It was me like singing with vibrato. It wasn't loud guitars. Um, and I know Leanne played in other bands at the time, and Christy was in her own band that was doing awesome. You know, so everybody was busy. And, and Don, Don started playing in Silver Ghost for a minute with Marcy. It didn't last long that, that he played with them. I think they went back to a drum machine. I can't remember. But um, it, was, it was definitely interesting. Like, I just, I knew I was done with the Von Bondies, and that I needed to give it a break. And just, like, I knew that I had the right band. It just wasn't the right time for me. So what made what made 2020 the right time then? What was what inspired this this comeback tour that was uh, unfortunately being postponed till 2021 now? I always used music as therapy. It was the cheapest form of therapy at the time. <laughs> now that I look back, it was very expensive therapy. Um, <laughs> but um, I, what was going on in the world? I was just I had no way of venting my frustrations with what was going on, and um, going on stage was my favorite way to yell into a pillow, like my my anger of what's going on in society and just generally. And this is before COVID-19. It, it made sense for me personally in a selfish way. And I'm very happy that Leanne and Christy and Don were up to do it. Um, I have no idea why they wanted to do it again. Um, they'd actually never said. I mean, I know it's fun. <laughs> but um, And also, I know that everyone loves going to the UK, honestly. That's, there's no dates in the US or anywhere else. We just picked the UK. Can I no. say something on, on that note? Earlier you asked the question what a band sounds like when they make it to the UK or, you know, break it in America. Yeah. For us, it's like, if you can make it in the UK, you can make it anywhere, kind of. That's, <laughs> that's kind of like where everybody would go to make, you know, from, I don't know, my, my heroes, Little Richard to, you know, uh, Tina Turner, they always made it big in the UK first than here at home. So yeah. it's kind of a switch reversal thing. Definitely. There's definitely a long history of that as well, and particularly throughout that, that era as well. Uh, other bands, um, like the Killers and Kings of Leon, for example, really hit it big over here before they did in the US. Yeah. Um, so what about um, this tour? Can we expect new music from the Von Bondies as well, or is it just the tour for now and see how it goes? Leanne, we have a new song. We do have a new song. Yeah, yeah. we need Christy to hear it. Christy has not heard the song. <laughs> <laughs> Well, well, no, it would, me, so. <laughs> yeah, well, as soon as we record it, Christy will get it and she'll learn it in like one night, um, you know, which is one of the things I like about Christy is that all of this is way too easy for her. So. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 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 
we'll see. Great, great. So come Jason, new music, new album. What, what can Von Bonders expect from this or, or, or do we just have have the live shows? I am working on putting out a re-release of Lackey Communication. I got back them. I've always had the masters, but I got back. Um, I spoke to the original record label that put it out and I asked if I could get it to release myself. And so I ended up getting it and spent some time and I have some unreleased tracks from that era, which doesn't, you know, I have no idea if they're good. They're just that era of songs that did not come out on the album, but um, I think they're fun. And then we'll probably record a new song, like a new single. And um, it's pretty good. It's uh, it's fun, right, Leanne? Yeah, it definitely has like the uh, old school Bombandis feel, which is yeah. fun. To play. Yeah, we used to be called stripper music, like whatever that means, because it was kind of dark and slinky, like no regrets, you know, has this like kind of, Gary Glitter kind of sounding. And um, when we would go out to Portland, there was a, a, a club called Mary's and they'd play the Von Bondis there. It was a, the women in the band at the time would want to go to these clubs where women would dance and they'd play the Von Bondis and dance to it. And, and then they'd come to the show after. That was like the beginning of Suicide Girls. Remember that website? All those, all those women would come to shows in, in, the, in those cities. And so that's where, like, I realized that we kind of played kind of crampsy, kind of sleazy kind of music. Um, I didn't think so when I was writing it, you know, <laughs> but, but I remember that happening. And, uh, yeah, it was good. It was interesting. Cool. I look forward to hearing it. All right, guys, before we let you go, we've just got the encore. Three more quick fire questions. And these are up for grabs, right? So just jump in and answer as you please. So. Favorite band you've toured with? Christy, Are you pointing yeah. at me? Oh, yeah. man. <laughs> I'm, I'm above you. This is like outing us, putting us under the bus. Uh, <laughs> fight, like, fight Like Apes was hilarious. They were, they were very fun. I was going to say the raccoons, too, when we did the Canada thing. That was super yeah, They were great. I, I, um, liked, I liked everybody. Uh, what was what, Nico Vega? Is that the other one? Nico yeah. Vega. Oh, yeah. Uh, wait. Die, Die, Die. Those guys were fun. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, New Zealand, yeah. Yeah, very cool. What about uh, cool. narrowing it down to some specific gigs? Then can you pick out the best gig you've ever done? Uh, yeah. You know, I well, I have a couple like there's different answers to that because I had a lot of uh, fun at some in some of our like European and UK shows. I remember that um, the, the with Molotov in Hamburg that was always playing there was really fun. Uh, our, our London show in 2008 was fun for like the Scala that was with Fight Like Apes you know here we played in Kansas City with you know on that Weezer Blink 182 thing and that was pretty cool in my opinion. Show <laughs> back in the day at a place called the Free Butt in Brighton maybe I don't know if it's still there yeah yeah that rings a bell in Brighton that's right yeah but but it was so hot this is early days like 2003 maybe first time in the UK ish it was so hot that all the photos, the walls are sweating, and every single person, it, we're not, it's just, we're covered in wet. Like, every, like every, everybody's makeup looks terrible, including mine. No, I did not have makeup. <laughs> but no, like, my guitar is glistening with sweat. Everybody in the audience looks terrible and just melting faces. I just remember there was this kind of, um, this fog because it was so hot. You know, over the whole audience was like this, you know, dry ice looking thing, but it was natural. And I don't remember the show being good because I, I remember I couldn't hold my guitar. It kept sliding out of my hands. And, uh, but I just remember the audience didn't care. It was just so tightly packed. I remember that show. 
you know, not for sounding good, but just the crowd was just, it was animalistic. It was crazy. Awesome. And final question, Jason, what's the song you're proudest of? What's the Von Bondi song you love the most? I like no regrets. That, that is when Christy said that I was like, yeah, that is my favorite song. Like when any, if anybody asked like, Oh, you were in a band. Like, what did you sound like? I normally would play them that song. And they're like, that's you. You sound a lot cooler <laughs> when you sing. It's like, yeah. I have a North, I have a, like a Midwest Michigan accent where I sound like I have a cold in real life. Guys, it's been an absolute pleasure to have you on with us today. I really appreciate you giving us your time. It's been fascinating to hear about the Von Bondi's journey and uh, really excited about the new music and the tour. Uh, fingers crossed next year uh, when, once all this is behind us. So uh, thanks very much. Yeah. Thank you guys. Thank you. Save on auto insurance for driving safe with USAA SafePilot. You'll feel like a big deal. Even in a traffic jam. Save up to 30% with USAA SafePilot. Restrictions apply.